If you have a Bible, take your Bible and open it to John chapter 7. Otherwise, we'll put the words up there in time. Doing a series, The Cliffhangers of Christ, times where Jesus sort of leaves individuals in the narratives throughout the gospel accounts hanging, so to speak. And such is the case here where he says to his disciples, not really his disciples, actually his half-brothers, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. Speaking of always here, wouldn't it be nice, football fans, if football was always here? It's almost back. And uh, if you're a football fan, you know that uh, every good football team, like a team that would have Peyton Manning on it, for instance, would be a team that would have a quarterback that would know how to control the clock. Now, that's a phrase that uh, football fans use and football players use. We, We need to control the clock. And a good quarterback can literally do that, control the clock in the game. That's the reason why a game that only is supposed to last 60 minutes takes three and a half hours. But we don't get that chance in life to control the clock. I was talking with a woman just the other day, not very old. She confessed to me that she was a control freak, that she thought she could control her own clock, but she humbly acknowledged that she really had no genuine control over her life. And she will be with the Lord within the next couple of weeks. David said very succinctly, our times are what? In his hands. Job said this, man's days are determined. God has decreed the number of his months and set boundaries on them, which he cannot exceed. Have you ever read that? I was reminded of a a Middle Eastern story of a servant, of a master who was sent to the marketplace. And while he was there, he was accosted by... The specter of death, grim reaper, raised his sickle at him. Struck with fear, the servant ran back home, told his master what happened, asked him if he could take his fastest horse and run to the the great city of Damascus where he could sort of mingle and hide out. The master, of course, allowed him to do that. But the master was upset this was his best servant, so he went right down to that marketplace and saw the grim reaper, walked up to him and said, why would you raise your sickle to strike my servant, my good servant? To which the specter of death said, oh, I didn't raise my sickle to strike him. That was a gesture of greeting. Why would I do that when I have an appointment with him in Damascus tonight? Here's the truth that we want to bring home to you this morning. You cannot control your clock, but you can redeem your time. For Jesus, redeeming the time meant losing, literally losing followers in order to solidify others. I told you to go to John chapter 7, but really I want you to get your eyes just above that to the sort of the, the lead-in to John chapter 7. John 7 comes on the heels of a mass desertion 
of epic proportions. Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, which means he probably fed nearly 10 to 12,000 people on that hillside. And then began to instruct them very strongly and said, I am the bread of life. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has everlasting life. And they, they say, this is a hard saying. And Jesus doesn't back down, presses it on. They must embrace him and his, his lordship. It's an, it was an analogy to belief. And then this pathetic moment in verse 66, where it says, after this, many of his disciples, didn't say just listeners, John calls them disciples. I don't even know what that means. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You know, if you're in ministry, you get a little taste of this from time to time with people. When those very people walk away from you that you have invested in, there is no other way to put it but that it hurts. I remember spending entire nights we, my wife and I and kids spent the entire night with a woman suffering such severe postpartum depression that we were convinced she was going to kill herself. Indeed, she threatened to do so. And myself, my wife, and another couple spent whole nights just holding a vigil over her to get her through this time which lasted months. And she came out of it smelling like a rose, so to speak, Within a couple of weeks, I received a letter in the mail. Thank you so much. Please remove our membership from the church. (laughs) To say that I was aghast would be the understatement of the century. And when we went and talked with them, they they said they didn't feel like they had to give any reason. They They just left. No thanks, really. More recently, there was a couple we had invested in who... uh, who went back to their old church, Bible-believing church, got to rejoice in that. Doggone it, I would preach that message last week, huh? (laughs) Not a real solid church, but the reasons were, they said, well, we felt like we were getting pressured to make changes in our lives. And there was a part of me that wanted to apologize to them. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put that much pressure on you. But there was another part of me that wanted to say, this is what I do. This is what a, this is what a disciple of Christ is supposed to do. Follow Jesus. But in the end, I had to let him go. And it's interesting when Jesus takes care of 10,000 plus people and then watches them walk away literally in droves by the thousands they're walking away. It's interesting, we don't see Jesus saying, hey, um, where are you going? I didn't really mean that I am the bread of life thing. That was just an analogy. Come back. I know it was hard. I didn't, no, we don't get any of that. In the end, he had to let him go. It gets even more pathetic, though, when you look at verse 67. He turns to the 12 disciples and says, are you leaving too? And you get the impression that in his humanness, he wondered. 
Peter comes through. <laughs> what? You have the words of eternal life. We can't go anywhere. The herd of rejection only intensified when he got home. And that's where we're at in chapter 7 where it says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. Now, this would have been one of the big three. Passover, Pentecost, and Booths are tabernacles. They literally would live in tents during this. It lasted a whole week. It was very festive. This was, the Jews called this the season of gladness. They'd dress up very colorfully. It was basically a party feast is what it was. They just had a great time. And it lasted a whole week. Now, it says in verse 3, so his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea where, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then, verse 5, for not even his brothers believed him. By the way, let's attach some names to those brothers. There were four of them. They, James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon. Those are listed in Mark and Matthew's Gospels. James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon. Then the cliffhanger. Jesus says, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. What did that mean? He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Now, the words of Jesus' brothers literally drip with insincerity and sarcasm. No wonder verse 5 says, not even his brothers believed in him. They didn't walk away like the other disciples we saw in chapter 6. They're a family. Their form of rejection is spite. And by the way, we know from all of the gospel accounts at this time, none of them, not even his mom really believed in him. Remember, she tried to put him out there early on. There was another time she came to a house with all the other siblings and tried to get him, get him away from the house because they thought he was crazy. But their sarcasm was cured in evil. They must have known for Jesus to go back up into Judah, Judea was at the risk of his own life. It says, verse 1, the Jews were seeking to kill him. Surely they knew this. Do you think they actually desired for their brother to be in harm's way? Do you remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness and all those forms of temptation? One of them, he went to the highest pinnacle, throw yourself off, make a name for yourself. Remember that? And of course, he didn't do that. You don't tempt me to do that, Jesus said. Now, it tells us in Luke's gospel that Satan left him for another opportune time. But you can read through the entire gospel accounts, and you will never, ever once read one direct confrontation between Satan and Jesus again. Not one. And yet it says he looked for opportune times. So how did he do that? Did Satan use opportune times? Of course he did. He used people, like his brothers, like you, like me. 
Remember when Peter, Jesus said, I, you know, it's time for me to go. I'm going to be crucified and, you know, the, I'm going to be taken up, delivered, tried, crucified. No, not you, Lord. Get behind me. What? Was, was Peter Satan? No, but Jesus was identifying the source behind the comment. Be careful, my friend. If you don't know God or you're not walking with God, you are just as easily a tool of Satan himself in the life of someone else. Jesus' brothers were. So were the Jews who were seeking to kill him. And while Jesus' death would be, listen to this, while Jesus' death would be at their hands, quote-unquote, it would not be by their timetable. Because Jesus was the only one who controlled the clock in his life. And so when you read through John's gospel, he's repeatedly saying, saying, my hour is not yet what? Hasn't come yet. I'm in control here. Even when his mom tried to publicly expose him in his first, before his, at the time of his first miracle. My hour hasn't come yet. It's interesting when you think about Jesus. I was just thinking about this the other day. Jesus never had to, quote, chalk things up to the sovereignty of God. <laughs> like you and me. He was the sovereign God. He's the one who orchestrated everything. Not me, not you. A few weeks ago, I was in Detroit. My plane took off at 1 p.m., and uh, I would get into my hotel room in Detroit at 1 a.m. What had happened was, my original flight to Detroit from Chicago was supposed to, was, going, was like 25 minutes late. In fact, I went there, and I said, what's going on? They said, We're, it's running about a half hour, you're about a half hour late. I said, okay, that's fine, half hour, no big deal. About 20 minutes later, I had not heard anything from them, so I walked back just in time to see them taking my flight number off. I've come to realize that's not a good thing when you see their, your flight number coming off. I said, uh, so, like, did my flight get delayed again or move somewhere? Oh, she said, no, that just took off about five minutes ago. I said, um, you, you yourself told me it'd be a half hour. She looked at me and goes, oh, time's changed all the time around here, sir. Anyway, she moved on to somebody else, and I'm just sitting there standing. Okay. At 12.30 in the morning, I'm driving through a really dicey area of Detroit, looking for my hotel. And I am convinced my times are not in my hands. (laughs) Listen, you can control, you cannot control your clock. But you can redeem the time. Not even his brothers believed him. Look at that in verse 5. Not even. Notice the pathos in that statement. See, while salvation is and always has been of the Lord, it does not erase irony. It doesn't erase craziness. It doesn't erase amazement. Humanly speaking, when, when brothers, in this case, brothers who grew up with Jesus would not believe in, not even... What a testimony to the binding and blinding power of sin. As parents, we would like to control the clock on our kids. Amen? Every year, on the other hand, that goes by shows us how we have very little control there too. We teach them the truth. 
We live the truth out best we know how. We pray with them, over them, for them. We take them to church. We plug them in. And with the hopes that they'll trust Jesus and love him. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. If you are a parent here this morning and your heart is broken over a child, I know how you feel. A little bit. If you have lived a hypocritical life in front of your child, shame on you. You have become a tool for the devil himself in the life of your kid. But many of you have not lived a hypocritical life. Perfect, no, because none of us are. But you have provided fertile ground for your children to know, trust, live, and love Jesus. But some of them have rejected him. You feel like they've rejected you. You're not alone. You are not alone. Listen to these words in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2 where it says, and if we don't have it, I'll just go there and pick it up here. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2 says this. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. And this is what the Lord said. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Have you ever read that? That's what the scripture says. That's God talking to his own children who have rebelled against him. The perfect father, no less. Listen, this is not an excuse for lousy parenting. It is a reality for bewildered parents who have bowed before and must bow before the throne of God with a sin-filled child and say, your will be done. You cannot control your clock or anyone else's for that matter. But you can redeem the time. Those four brothers... We know that James and Jude were converted because they gave us two epistles in the, at the end of the New Testament, right? In fact, they identified themselves as doulos, as servants, as slaves to their own half-brother Jesus, which is really cool. One commentator said, and we can be sure that Joseph and Simon trusted him too. Really? I never read that anywhere. Now, maybe they did, but that is pure speculation and nothing more. You cannot control your clock, but you can redeem your time. Jesus' response to his brothers is the cliffhanger. Just what does he mean when he says in verses 6 through 8, he says, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Go ahead and go up to the feast. I'm not going to do it now because my time hasn't fully come. The ultimate insult, the ultimate insult 
any of us who claim to know Jesus could be given is this. Quote, the world cannot hate you. That's the ultimate insult. It's not possible for the world to hate you. You're too much like it. Later on, one writer put it like this. You adulterous people, do you... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Oh, by the way, did you notice who wrote that? The very person, one of the four, that Jesus was speaking to when he said, the world can't hate you. And at the time, it couldn't. But when he came to know and love Jesus Christ, the half-brother of Jesus, James, could write because he'd been there. He knew. He knew how some of you are living right now. If you are of this world, then you think, you act, you love. Everything you do can find its fit in this world. The result is you get along just fine. Of course, the ultimate compliment Jesus gave in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Jesus' brothers at that time could waltz right into the party of the Feast of Tabernacles without a worry, without a care. They were part of the haters at that time. They might have been questioning Jesus' courage You know, not my time to go up there. Scaredy cat. Really? Jesus didn't say he wouldn't go up. He just said it wasn't his time. Because if you look in the text, he does go up. In fact, he does. Look at verse 30. Where it says, and Jesus has gone up to the feast now. He's about the middle of the feast. He goes up middle of the week. It says, so they were seeking to arrest him because now he's out there and he's teaching in the temple. They see him and they're, they're about to dispatch people to arrest him. They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because he was controlling the clock. That's why. So verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. That's what you do. When you got an enemy, you go get him and you arrest him. Then, on the very last day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles on the last day, every every day for seven days, a procession of priests would come from the temple with a bucket, a golden bucket of water, and they would pour it out as a libation. You know, water represents life to us, and especially in a dry area like this. It was a time of great celebration. The Jews said, you can't get a more joyous time than during the time of libation. And on the last day, they brought, they did it seven times. And, and there, they say there's so much noise, you could hardly hear yourself. That's why it tells us in the middle of all this, Jesus lifted up his voice and he said, if anyone is thirsty, what? Come to me. Come to me. Coward? No way. And then, I mean, those who were looking for him didn't have to look anymore. He's making a sign. He's making, isn't it interesting, by the way, the very thing the brothers told him to do, he did. 
Go out there and put yourself out there. Jesus did what they told him to do. But not on their timetable. On his. And when they went to arrest him, they didn't do it. Because their own testimony in verse 46 is, man, nobody ever talked like this guy. Jesus was the ultimate time controller, the sovereign God. But listen, you cannot control your clock. But you can redeem the time. Let me quickly give you several ways you can do that. Number one, by being realistic about how little you have. How's that for first for starters? David said in Psalm 39, Lord, make me to know mine end and the, and the measure of my days, how short it is that I may know how frail I am. Teach us to number our days, David wrote, that we may, or, or actually Moses wrote, that we may apply our hearts to what? Wisdom, Psalm 90, verse 12, right? And of course, we've got James, the brother of Jesus, coming in there. What is your life? It's even a... Secondly, by making the most of every opportunity God gives to you. As a husband to your wife, as a wife to your husband, as a parent to your children, as a child to your parents, as a worker to your other workers, as an owner to an employee, whatever it may be, you make the most of your opportunity. The daily encounters, people you come into, you encounter Make the most of these opportunities. That's what it means to redeem the time. You buy up the opportunity. You snatch it up for the glory of God. And some of us need to really seriously look at our time and what we do with our time. I'm not against leisure. I'm not against entertainment. But enough is enough. You can't control your clock. But you can redeem your time. Thirdly, by acknowledging that time, like your health, resources, and abilities, are not really yours. They are God's that he has given to you and for his glory. Here's the fourth thing. By realizing that your timetable and God's are usually a couple hours off. Wouldn't it be nice if God would just synchronize his watch to ours? But the fact is, we're supposed to do just the opposite. That's the reason why, again, the half-brother of Jesus would write, instead of saying, tomorrow we're going to go here, tomorrow we're going to go there, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to buy, we're going to sell, we should say, if the Lord wills. That's synchronizing my clock with God's. Right? And then this one. You can redeem the time by stop hitting the snooze button when God wakes you up. Be it literally or be it through the experiences of life itself. God woke me up to be saved when when my daughter pulled the marijuana out from underneath the couch and had her fist, a fistful of it, ready to put it into her mouth. God woke me up to dedication when I got caught smoking the marijuana by my employee. God woke me up 
to my pride and my intolerance through the death of my wife. He woke me up to the power of compassion and mercy by bringing my new wife in, who's not so new now. Well, that doesn't that sound good, does it, dear? I'll, I'll rephrase that the next service, I promise. Hey. There's no way to get out of this, is there, dear? There's no way to get out of this. No way. Doggone, I screwed that one up, didn't I? Does it help to say you're just as beautiful as you ever were? Because you are. I love you. He woke me up to the poor use of my own giftedness of evangelism by bringing Chuck the Clean into my life and showing me how to do it better. He woke Chuck the Clean up just the other day who was busying himself becoming the full-time guy and figured he had to work 25-7, 25-8. And, and his wife had even warned me, wasn't even listening to those warnings. He's, so he goes and he's sitting there reading a book on prayer and a bird flies over and poops on the page of the book. <laughs> this is a serious message. It wasn't supposed to be funny at the end. Listen, I don't know when, if, where, how. I know God wakes us up. Stop hitting the snooze button, which is just another way of saying, I refuse to obey you, God. I refuse to comply. And the last thing I would say as we go to the Lord's table here is there is a time when Jesus, your time's always now. You want to know a time that's always now? Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Jesus raised his voice above the noise of a clamorous crowd to say, if you're really thirsty, come to me. And some of you need to do exactly that. You know that in your heart of hearts, you're still thirsty. And whatever you've been drinking hasn't quenched your thirst. But Jesus will. Because if you drink from the water that he gives, as he said to the woman at the well, you will never thirst again. Will you give yourself to this truth and caveat if it need be that to you? You cannot control your time. You cannot control your clock. But you can redeem the time.